Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Body Justice. I started this podcast because I believe that all bodies are good bodies. All bodies are deserving, worthy, and all bodies are whole, just as they are. In today's world, it's ever hard to embody this as our truth. My mission is to create a space to process body image, eating disorders, and relationships through a justice-oriented lens. I'm a licensed therapist in California and an eating disorder survivor myself. I know what it's like to be at war with myself and also to find peace again. Thank you for being here and I look forward to being your host. Welcome back to Body Justice. We are on episode 40 today, and we're going to be talking with an awesome registered dietitian named Brianna Theus. Um, We are going to talk about how recovery should be individualized for every person, how white supremacy impacts our relationship to food and our bodies, and how recovery is a process of coming home to your truest self. Brianna is super passionate about this, and that's why we connected in the first place. I found her on Instagram. You should totally go give her a follow at the Celestial Life RD. She is based out of Southwestern Connecticut and identifies as Black, and her goal is to help you develop a better relationship with food, body, and exercise. So I'm going to let her introduce herself further. Before we do that, just a couple of reminders. You can check out my online recovery course from my Instagram bio at bodyjustice.therapist. This course is designed to help you fast track your recovery journey. Oftentimes in therapy, we are so busy processing life events and emotions that sometimes there's not time to go over very important skills that help us in our recovery journey. So this um, course is intended to help you with that as well as be a resource for folks that can't access care. We all know treatment is extremely expensive and only available for a privileged few. And by that, I think the statistic is like 5% of people with eating disorders actually get specialized care. That is ridiculous and it makes me so sad. So please go check that out. You can also find me on my website, www.eatingdisorderocdtherapy. Here's Brianna. So Brianna, can you tell us a little bit about you, how you identify, and what you're passionate about? Yeah, Um, so my name is Brianna. My pronouns are she, her. I am an eating disorder registered dietitian. Um, I am Black. I am Haitian American. Both of my parents um, were born in Haiti. Um, I am heterosexual. I am cisgendered. Um, What I'm passionate about I am, well, first of all, I'm definitely passionate about my work um, with eating disorders, but then besides that, I'm passionate about anything creative, really, Mm -hmm. so I love um, playing instruments, I love uh, dancing, crafting, crocheting, Um, I feel like I am definitely, I don't know if other people use this term or if I made it up myself, but I call myself a serial crafter, I will try every type of craft and then it just lives in my closet forever, Um, (laughs) so, so yeah. I can relate to that. I love being creative too, but I wouldn't say I have any works of art. So (laughs) it's kind of just for my outlet, but um, yeah, I've got like random paintings and over quarantine, I started knitting, which is really fun and a great distraction. Um, But I, 
it doesn't look like anything great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel <okay>. that. <laughs> um, that's awesome though. What kind of um, instruments do you play? I play um, flute, saxophone, piano, uh, piccolo, and I'm learning violin right now. Oh my gosh. Those are like really hard instruments. <laughs> I love it. I've been playing ever since I think I started piano when I was in first grade and mm -hmm. I've just been like adding instruments on ever since then. That's so cool. I, yeah. I grew up playing piano. I wish I would have stuck with it. Um, cause it is really, it was so fun. I still know some songs, but and then I tried to get into the clarinet. It just didn't happen for me, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but I'm glad you are finding joy in that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what got you interested in the field of eating disorders? Yeah, so I actually started out wanting to work with malnutrition in Haiti because that's where my family is from. That's where a lot of my family still lives. And I know that um, it's a huge problem um, over there and also here, like it's, it's um, a big problem. Um, so I wanted to be able to work with food access in that way. And I feel like all throughout school up until I graduated, that was my main goal to be able to work with that. Um, and then in between when I graduated from college to when I did my dietetic internship, I got a job working at a treatment center as a diet tech. So I was cooking um, and eating with the patients. And I was like, oh, this, this sounds kind of cool. I like this. But then I kind of like moved on from there. I did my internship and I didn't think about it as much. Um, and then my first job, I was working in school nutrition and I had a lot of downtime. I wasn't really doing that much. <laughs> so I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was listening to mostly eating disorder podcasts. And then I, it's when I realized I was like, this is what I want to do. I love this. I think that I could, um, make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, so ever since then, that's what I've been doing. That's awesome. Um, I love that you have this passion too of like identifying like food justice and malnutrition. Um, do you find that sometimes those go together like a history of malnutrition and eating disorders? Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that we see a lot. Um, I work in a treatment center and then also in a private practice. Um, I, we see it a lot with with patients and clients of not having access to food and then and then um, developing an eating disorder, especially once they get that access to food or when they have more access to food, um, it can kind of lead into it. Totally. Yeah, what I've noticed too is sometimes clients, they may not have had actual food insecurity, but there was always the threat that it could happen, like perceived mm -hmm. and so yeah, I think the two go very well together. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And eating disorders are such a different part of dietetics than other areas, right? Like such a different type of nutrition counseling. Yeah. And it's not even something we learned in school at all. So I had, I don't even know, I don't think I even heard about eating disorders while I was in school. Like we never touched on it. Um, that's alarming. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not great <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, I think I've, I've spoken to students and I think they're starting to add that back in or add that in um, because 
it's important and it's needed. And I think a lot of people are leaning more towards that career. So they're adding it in, in schools um, more so, which is great for those students. Now they're getting that education, but I had, I had no education starting out in eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Did your time in treatment centers really help, I guess, like learn about eating disorders or how did you develop that? Yeah. So I got all of my education from the podcast and mm -hmm. um, from working in the treatment center. Um, I think what is difficult about the education that I got, it, it's great. I've learned a lot. Um, but what I learned is all um, from white people. Yeah. Uh, the treatment center is very white, as are most treatment centers are very white. Mm -hmm. The staff is white, um, thin. Um, women so I feel like everything I learned was kind of leaning towards that and I didn't realize until even a couple years ago that like there's this is not just what needs to be the way there's so much more that I can learn and that I need to learn to be able to work with all different types of people. Mm -hmm, totally I'm glad you pointed that out because I was actually just talking to someone about that this morning about how like these gold standards of care um they do not fit everyone and they miss so much. <laughs> and so much. it feels taboo in the eating disorder, like provider space to even talk about that. Like it feels, especially I'm assuming in like higher levels of care, like I'm sure because of all like the insurance, you know, I guess demands and stuff. But whenever I speak about this, especially to people who are white, um, I just feel like I'm doing something wrong, you know, or like I'm saying the wrong thing. And it's like, but no, like it's not just CBT and it's not right. <laughs> there's so much more nuance. Right. Like I, I will bring those things up and I'm like, am I wrong? Like I start questioning myself because yeah. of the reactions that I get. I'm like, no, no, you're fine. Like continue having these conversations, but it's also like being one of the few people who are questioning the things that we're doing um it's tiring and it's it's really hard it's important for the patients that we have and also it's not great for us no i agree and that's i think one benefit of social media is like being able to con connect with other people doing similar yeah. work to get that validation because it can totally feel like gaslighting elsewhere <laughs> yeah a hundred percent yeah so I guess in terms of individualizing treatment um, and why those gold standard practices might not be for everyone. Yeah, can you elaborate, I guess, on your thoughts on that? Like, what have you seen? Yeah, definitely. So I feel like specifically when I think of individualizing treatment, um, number one, I think about, like you said, like CBT and the frameworks and the modalities that we use. So even like intuitive eating, even yeah. um, haze, maybe like all of the movements, body acceptance, body positivity, um, all of those things, they are very, um, or even like cookie cutter phrases that people might say, like, you're more than your body or all, all of those things. They're very, um, I don't know, they're very like black and white. They don't take into account um, other identities, they don't take into account marginalizations or intersections that need to be talked about in eating disorder treatment. Um, and when I see my clients in my private practice, 
I am able to talk with them about what is actually working for you, what doesn't work for you. We don't have to use this. We can choose like bits and pieces of different things, or we can even take something and kind of rework it, remold it into a way that works for you. Um, and I feel like that's really helpful for those clients because one standard way of doing something is not going to be helpful for, I feel like anyone but yeah. definitely for BIPOC or um, LGBTQ anybody in a marginalized identity it's it's not going to be helpful um, mm -hmm. so we definitely need to think about ways of thinking outside of those boxes those standardized boxes um, mm -hmm. and really think about um, what we are actually telling the clients when we're using these frameworks as well. Mm -hmm. I agree yeah because I think a lot of them um like the western standardized care system and cbt if we want to talk about that it's so much about personal blame and like just change your thoughts and it's like well yeah. okay but there's also this larger system that's like creating these thoughts so yeah yeah it's tricky um and i love hearing this is probably another way your creativity comes out like being able to really like blend you know what the client needs not just like stick to one standard Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell my clients that I am here to guide you. This is your treatment. This is you. like, the, you're the expert right now in your body, you know yourself the best. Like, I just met you however long ago. And all I know about you is what you told me, right? So you are the expert of your body. I'm here to guide you. You tell me what's not working um, for you. And, and we'll kind of continue and change things as we need to. Totally. And I'm sure that's so relieving for clients to hear, especially in the dietitian setting, because I think a lot of people are in eating disorder recovery are terrified to be with their dietitian for the first yes. time. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the recovery mottos. Oh my gosh, I do not, I despise the motto, like your body is like the least interesting or important thing about you. Like, it's like a nice sentiment, but when you're a person of color or a member of any other marginalized group, that is not what the world mm -hmm. treats you like. Um, it's like, I wish that could be true, but that is not reality. So it's just, it it's, doesn't really help people get into the real world and like look at the real issues, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that phrase? <laughs> that yeah. is not helping me. Yeah. I go outside and it's literally the most important thing about me. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. So also bodies are pretty freaking interesting. Everything that they can like do and cover from, like, I don't know. <laughs> I find them fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you go into the world and your bodies like yours are treated with violence or disrespect or hate, like you can't just say it's not important. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that is um with with those movements like body acceptance um or i know body positivity i feel like a lot of people have moved away from um mm -hmm. and probably moved into body acceptance or like body neutrality but that's the main thing i talk to my clients about is that like i've had someone say to me how am i supposed to accept myself when the world doesn't accept me when i go outside and they're saying these things to me or they're thinking these things about me um and it's not as simple as, okay, we're going to work on accepting your body now. Like that's mm -hmm. not how it works. Um, and we need to be mindful that not everybody is going to be accepted when they go outside that they are going to experience so many different things. Um, 
and body acceptance isn't always going to be the way to go. Yeah. So in that example, how would you work with someone who, um, you know, is really struggling with the body acceptance piece? Yeah. So um, sometimes we'll just let it go. We just won't even talk about that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about the intersections and the um, intersection is, intersections of identities. Um, and I, I like to talk about how the world is. So maybe... Yeah we can talk about how um, airplane seats are small mm -hmm. or how, I don't know, like all, all of those things about the world, maybe like um, how you might not be able to go on a ride at, at the amusement park. And we'll talk about those things, um, but also leaning more into body liberation mm -hmm. and talking, I guess that is body liberation. So like talking about the systems and, and talking about how we can break down those systems as well. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, if someone's struggling with the body acceptance piece, really being in that with them, like sitting in the pain of that. Um, Cause I feel like so many people just want that to be acknowledged and witnessed like fully mm -hmm. without jumping to, okay, but let's change the way you think about that. Or, you know, yeah. and then, yeah, like identifying, I love the body liberation aspect too, and helping clients see that the world was literally designed for them to feel insecure. And, and it's can come with, I'm curious to hear what you, what you see too, but I notice there's like different stages with that. There could be like a grief stage. And then there's like an anger stage, like angry at the world stage. And then, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's like, that's, Anger tells us when our boundaries have been crossed and society crosses our boundaries. Um, so I'm curious, like how, yeah, how do your clients receive that information? Yeah, there is, they, I do definitely see those stages. So like the grief stage, the anger stage, um, I guess the stage, the, I guess anger morphing into now I need to do something about this. Like, yeah. what am I going to do about this? And like, um, them like really wanting to take action and, and fight for their rights and fight for themselves and fight for other people um, to have access to um, be able to, you know, go to the doctor and not experience those stigmas and, mm -hmm. and all of those things. So yeah, I, I definitely see those stages. And, and I think what you said is great being able to sit with the clients in that, in that pain, in the in the hurt um, and working through that with them is, is so important. Totally. I also feel like it, some, it sometimes um, adds more of a, like a why to people's recovery because mm. I think our clients are some of the most like compassionate and caring and intelligent people. And when they realize how much like kind of colluding with diet culture is also colluding with like white supremacy and other harmful structures, um, they want to do then like the, they want to fight it even stronger, yeah. which is really awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah. I love so that. we're just out here creating really angry activists. <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, what are some ways that diet culture co-ops cultural foods and how do you help clients unlearn this messaging about cultural foods? I feel like the main thing that I see is talking about quote unquote, healthifying food. So um, in nutrition, in school, we learned that the Mediterranean diet is the way to go. Mm. You have to eat that way. We tell 
everybody to eat that way, basically. I remember um, when I was an intern and I was at the hospital, there was a um, black woman there. And I can't remember why she was there, but it had nothing to do with food at all um, or any any of those things. It had nothing to do with anything, really. Um, but I remember I had to counsel her to change her diet from her traditional way of eating to the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? She's not here for any of those reasons. What is the point of telling her to change how she's eating? And that's what we learn in school. That's what we learn in nutrition. And that's how um, we're taught to Mm -hmm. educate people on food. Um, So I think that's the main thing that I see is, you know, if you Google Jamaican recipes or Ghanaian recipes or Mexican recipes, you always see um, healthy and then the food item, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, why? Like, it, they're they're perfectly fine on their own. You don't need to healthify anything. And even if something is not like, I don't I don't like to use the word healthy, but even if it's something is not to your standard of healthy, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I've definitely fallen into that before. Um, I used to force my parents to make Haitian food with brown rice mm-hmm. and I hated it. I thought it was <laughs> gross and I made them continue doing it that way because that's the quote unquote healthy way to do it. And then finally, I was so glad when I realized that that is, does not need to happen and we switched back to white rice and I'm so, so much happier eating food the way it was intended to be eaten. Oh, I can relate to that a lot. <laughs> My, I'm Indonesian <laughs> and Mexican and Dutch. And so lots of rice in both Indonesian dishes and Mexican dishes and totally went through the phases of like the brown rices or quinoa or um, the worst cauliflower rice. Like it just isn't the same. And our ancestors would be so sad to see that happening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in my experience too, like reconnecting with those cultural foods was really beneficial for my own recovery. Um, And I see that with clients too, like kind of being able to reclaim their identity because it impacts more than just the food. It's like a, a way of colonization, like taking mm-hmm. away our cultural roots. Yeah, definitely. I, I really love having those conversations with clients and talking about um, the white supremacy aspect of it all, all of diet culture, um, and helping them to see that they can reclaim their identity um, and see the joy that they're able to have in their identity when they're able to kind of um, work on breaking, breaking down those barriers. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Um, I'm wondering in, in treatment center experience, like I've worked in one treatment center before and, you know, they make the menu for the patients. Like it's not, at least in the one I worked at, there wasn't really input from the clients or anything like that. And the meals are so whitewashed. Like mm-hmm. they even will try to do like Mexican night and it's not real Mexican food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so problematic. Yeah. I, I have definitely run into that issue. Um, so much. Um, I have worked with some of the other dietitians to try to create like 
more, I guess, like open menus where we say like, it's bowl day, bring whatever you need to bring that you would eat in a bowl or something, something mm-hmm. like that. That way we're not like labeling it. But before we got to the menus, they there was Mexican day, there was um, Chinese day. There are all, all the days that you can think of, it was yeah. in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're really, really trying to work on um, allowing the patients to bring in foods from their culture, um, especially with breakfast. I hate the like breakfast food. Like, doesn't have to be eggs and bacon and pancakes. It can be rice. It can be noodles. It can be yeah. pizza. You can have whatever you want to have for breakfast. Um, but that that hasn't reached us yet. Mm. We're still we're still in the in the American breakfast um, territory. Yeah. Oh, for a second, I thought you were going to say you were able to get the treatment center to do that. But that's amazing. <laughs> I wish. It's so true, too, because in so many cultures that you just eat normal like lunch and dinner type foods for breakfast. It's not yeah. this different type of food. So, yeah. 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 Or I oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I have had patients who will say we don't eat like just one main meal. We have five different dishes and then we eat it like that. So how am I supposed to put that into the meal that you're telling me I need to eat as well? So yeah, it's definitely tricky. And I, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but I do tell patients, I'm like, just bring your food in. It's fine. If it doesn't follow the, the standard menu that we have, I tell them to bring it in anyway. And it's been fine so far. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. That makes me think about like Korean dishes where you have like all the side dishes and like yeah. meat and rice too. But yeah. How would that fit into like a perfect to like three component thing or whatever? Right. It is? <laughs> right. Yeah. I like the idea of the bowl day. So are you seeing that when clients can bring their own food in, that's kind of a better fit in some ways? Yes. And no. Um, I find that a lot of, oh, a lot will bring in their own um, cultural dishes. And then a lot will say, well, most of these people are white. The other dietitians are white. So what are they going to think of when they see my food? What are they going to think when I'm eating this food? Are they going to ask me all these questions about it? So it ends up being this whole balance of like, I want to bring it in, but I can't because these, I'm going to get too many questions and I'm just going to feel othered um, yes. all over again. So I'm just going to bring in the normal um, quote unquote, normal food um, that mm. other people would be eating. Totally. I think that's something that white providers don't often take into consideration either, as it's like, not so simple as being like, okay, bring your culture's foods. Because yeah. there's like stages of, I know for me, like, I used to be really ashamed of my culture's foods because I grew up in such a white town. So like, I wouldn't have brought in, I would have tried to like conform. Um, so yeah, it's like, being okay with wherever the client's at with that and like encouraging them maybe to challenge themselves to embrace themselves but yeah that that's complicated yeah it's it's super tough in um in the white spaces like that definitely in private practice it feels more it's just easier I guess for them because they're in their own homes they're in their own environment they're more comfortable um challenging those things but when when they're in the center with all of these other people it's it's so much more difficult Mm -hmm, totally um what is your favorite thing about working with people with eating disorders Mm, that's a good question I um I think I 
love seeing people discover their sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes there are very clear moments where they come in and they're like, oh my God, this is great. I've discovered all of these things about myself. And um, I, I just love seeing the work that they're able to do because the work is so hard. Um, I feel like a lot of my clients and patients put a lot of pressure on themselves to get from point A to point B in a certain amount of, a certain length of time or a certain amount of days. Um, And they are really hard on themselves. And I Mm -hmm. love watching them be able to let that go, um, be in the process and have whoever they need to have on their side to support them and and get through. And I, I love being able to see them reclaim their identities it's great Mm, I think that's my favorite part too it's really like a coming home to yourself yeah Um, lots of ups and downs along the way but at the end it is so worth it um yeah it's a true it's so much more than food and body stuff it's like such a sometimes it can even feel I feel like a spiritual journey like Mm. going through these kind of trials and you come back to yourself eventually yeah oh, it's so great I love seeing it it is um I know this is a really like broad question but I love getting all my listeners or all my guests um kind of opinion on this because I feel like it's like a collective definition and I just yeah I love hearing everyone's unique opinion so when you hear the term body justice what do you think of I I feel like I think of how our identities intersect, um, how they define us. Um, It makes me think of all of the work that we need to continue doing and continue, um, I guess, yeah, continue doing to get everyone to have the same access to care, to treatment, to um, break down all of the social parameters and the ideals that we need to be in um, and and have everyone be able to feel safe in their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. It's like we need abolition in everything, eating disorder world too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, totally agree. Um, where can listeners find you and your wonderful work? So I am on Instagram um, at the Celestial Life RD. And my website is thecelestiallife.com. Awesome. And I know you're in Connecticut. What, what states can you see clients in? I can see clients in Connecticut, New York, California, and Vermont. Okay, awesome. Are you taking new clients? I am. I am taking new clients. Um, I am virtual. So um, if you are anywhere in Connecticut, I can definitely see you or in those other states, I can see you. Um, Also, if you're in a different state that I didn't mention, you can also let me know because um, there might uh, have things be changed um, and I might be able to see you in those ways too. Cool. I'm putting you down on my referral list for California. I love that. Um, the dietitians don't have as many of like the licensing barrier state stuff. Yeah. So it's, better. It, it's great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and be a part of body justice. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yay. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love chatting with you. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I'll let you know, I'll email you a draft when I have it. 
Okay. Um, Probably won't be publishing it for about four weeks. Um, and yeah, I'll just keep it posted. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Brianna. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.